So we are wrapping up this conversation we've had the last couple of weeks about stewardship. Stewardship, you remember, is the, is the church word for the idea that everything we have is something that God has entrusted to us. It's kind of a portfolio that God has made us managers of. So the, the things we have that are, that are tangible and measurable, things like our money and our property, um, things like our work. You can measure, you can measure the work you, you do. The work, um, but also things that are intangible, things like our ideas or our influence, the people who look to us uh, for, for uh, guidance, who, who kind of take their cue from the things we do. All these things, everything that we have is a portfolio that God has, has made us managers of. And stewardship is that idea. It's kind of the church language for that. So what we've been looking at is how can we do that well? And what we saw the first week is that God wants us to be generous. The way we're a good manager, the way we are a good portfolio manager is not by holding on to it, not by trying to, to preserve the assets, but actually to be generous. God wants us to be generous because that's what he would do if he were the one managing that portfolio. God is a generous God, so he wants us to be generous equally. And we talked about that the first week, and we didn't talk at all about the church, because the Lord knows there's any number of ways you can be generous in the world. There's all kinds of opportunities in this world you can be generous. We didn't talk about the church until last week, and what we talked about with the church is that the church, when, when, you, when you choose to be generous, when you choose to point some of that portfolio toward the church, there's two things that you get. When, when, you, when you're generous to the church, you get two things. You get the church and you get its mission. You get the, the, the uh, congregation. You get, you get the people sitting around you, the people in front and back and to the sides. Uh, you get the congregation of people. You get a community of people who will not condemn you or judge you as you try to work out what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And what you also get is the facility we meet in. You get a safe place where people can come and hear the good news that God doesn't hate them. Maybe maybe uh, it's old news and they don't need to hear it that week, but maybe this is the week when they just it was just that kind of week and they needed to hear that despite the things that they did, despite the things people told them, despite... Uh, the, the, the tapes that play in their head, whatever it is, they needed to hear that God does not hate them. So they get the church, but they also get the mission of the church. And there's really no way to separate these two. Uh, uh, the Swiss theologian Emil Brunner, he put it this way. Uh, we saw last week the church exists by mission like a fire exists by burning. You can't have a fire if something's not burning. And Emil Brunner says you can't have a church if you don't have mission. If the people of God aren't involved in the work of God, then you don't really have a church. You just have some kind of a social club. So, so Emil Brunner says that you can't peel these two apart. You get the church and you get the mission. There's another analogy I love. Um, if, you, if you think of it this way, um, the church is like when you're, you're flying um, in an airplane and uh, uh, the, the cabin attendant says during that safety demo, we, we ignore they say, uh, put on your own oxygen mask first and then help the people around you. That, that the church is that, is that oxygen mask that comes down and, and enables us to breathe so that then we can help the people around us. So I, I love that, that image. I, I wish I could say I'd thought of it myself. Um, but this idea that you get both parts, the church and the mission of the church. Last week we talked about the church and this week we're going to talk about the mission of the church. And, and really, when, when we do that, we'll be done, because that's really all there is to talk about. And if you've been going to church for a long time, you may say, well, wait a minute, 
What about, what about all the other stuff? What about, what about liturgy? What about sacraments? What about worship and music? What about sacred space? What about that? Do I get that? How does that fit into this whole picture? And the answer to that question comes to us from the prophet Isaiah. He talks about the kind of worship that pleases God. Um, but but uh, he says it at some length, and you can get a shorter version by uh, reading what uh, James said. James, the little brother of Jesus, he said, pure uh, worship before God, pure religion before God, is to take care of widows and orphans and not be stained by the world. So let's go ahead, though, and look at the longer passage from Isaiah. Isaiah says, says uh, speaking, speaking for God, uh, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? Um, I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or lambs or goats. It's not because God has become a vegetarian. Um, we don't know if God eats any of this stuff. Uh, we know that the, the sacrifices are burnt up um, and uh, uh, God never tells us about his dietary uh, habits. What God is saying here is the sacrificial system that that is part of the the religious life of the people of God is detestable to God. It has become detestable to God because of the people who are offering it. He says, because of this, when you come before me, who asked this from your hands? Trample my courts no more. There were solemn, solemn assemblies. People come in and they'd process forward and they'd bring in their, their different sorts of sacrifice and so forth, and they'd go sideways and backwards. Uh, God is saying, quit trampling my courts. Just just leave. Just just go away. Bringing offerings is futile. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, that's the beginning of the month, the beginning of the week. New moon and Sabbath and calling of convocation. I cannot endure solemn assemblies with iniquity. And now we begin to understand why. What is it that God doesn't like? He says iniquity. Iniquity is a, uh, one of those words we don't use a lot, uh, but iniquity means a wrongdoing. Um, God is saying, you can't come in here and give me worship that pleases me when out there you're doing wrong. He says, I cannot endure solemn assemblies with iniquity. Your new moons and your appointed festivals, my soul hates. They become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. And so God says, when you stretch out your hands to me, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. I will not listen. Is there any remedy? Is that it? Is God saying that that's, that's the end? There's just nothing for it. Well, God says there is. There is a remedy. He says, wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. God says, if you've been doing evil, if you have this idea that you can, you can somehow pull the wool over my eyes, you can go out and be kind of a sharp trader out there in the world, and, and kind of take advantage of people and, and uh, lean and, and, and press hard on people and then come in here and butter wouldn't melt in your mouth and I won't notice. Well, I do. So he says, stop doing evil. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't simply say, stop doing evil. He says, more than that, learn to do good. He says, seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. Why? The reason is because you cannot love someone if you don't love the things that they do. At least begin to love the things you do. I was reading an article about a place called Rancho Obi-Wan. 
Can you guess what it is? It is the world's largest collection of Star Wars memorabilia. There's 300,000 pieces of Star Wars memorabilia at Rancho Obi-Wan, and it's a private, it's a private collection. Um, imagine knowing the person behind Rancho Obi-Wan. Imagine dating that person. Imagine thinking, you know, would it be nice to marry this person or not? Um, you say, well, let's, let's go, uh, let's go have some fun together. What should we do? I know. Let's go garage sale. Let's go estate sale. Let's go find, I heard there's this place, there's a, there's a antique store that's got a bunch of Star Wars memorabilia. We're gonna go poke around that all morning. Does that sound like fun? You say, let's go, let's go have, have dinner somewhere together. They say, ooh, cool. There's a fast food place and their kids meal has got a new Star Wars toy. Okay, let's go there. So, so imagine, having any kind of relationship with someone who has a consuming passion for Star Wars memorabilia, you'd have to become at least tolerant, maybe even learn to love it yourself. Otherwise, you couldn't love someone who has such a consuming passion. And God has a passion for people. You know, He doesn't love you because of your wonderfulness. He loves you because He made you. He loves you despite all the reasons you give Him not to love you. So God loves you. And if you're going to love God, you have to learn to love the kind of things that God loves. And they're sitting all around you, but they're not just in this building. They're all over the place. C.S. Lewis says that that the the business of of the mission, the, the, the reason God gives us a mission, why does God even involve us? I mean, we're pretty, you know, I don't know about you, I won't speak for you, but for me, okay, it's all I can do to just, to just obey God, to be a halfway decent person myself. Uh, and why would God then trust me to spread his name out in the world? Why would God want me to be his ambassador? C.S. Lewis says the reason that God gives us a mission is not because we're so good at it or not because we'll bring credit to his name necessarily, but because it is the process of growing us into people who are outfitted for eternity. If you think if you think of the world, the mission field of the church is kind of like Cabela's, and you're going on a camping trip, and you're going to pick up some things there that'll outfit you to live with God in eternity. When I was home in in New Mexico a couple of uh, weeks ago, um, I, I, my, I was asking my dad I wanted to buy some souvenirs, and and I said, "Where's a good place to buy souvenirs?" And he recommended this one store, and the store had a um, at a parrot or a macaw or a cockatiel or some colorful bird that talked. And it talked and talked and talked. All through the service, I mean, all, all through this, this time when I was shopping, this bird kept going, hello, hello, hello. And, and it had two or three other lines, but mostly it stuck to hello. Um, one of them was something about, I gotta go to bed or something like that. I need, I need to take a nap or something like that. But mostly it just said, hello, hello, hello. And I talked to the clerk, you know, I was asking, what did he just say? It was the one about the nap. And the clerk told me, and I got to talking about the bird. I said, I said, uh, you know, what's the story behind the bird? And they said, it used to belong to the, the former owner. Um, the, um, but he's passed on now, and so his daughter owns the store. Um, and so the bird came with the store, really. And, um, and I said, well, how old is the bird? And she said, it's about 20. And I said, well, how, how, how long is that bird going to live? And he said, uh, 70, 80 years. <laughs> now, 
imagine you're going to get a job working at that store. You better love whatever it is, parrot, cockatiel, whatever. You better love that bird and you better love the way it talks and talks and talks. Because if not, there's no hope. It's not going to find a better job somewhere and, and, and leave you at this store. It's not going to go get a different job. It's not going to retire. That bird is there until, until the, the family chain is broken. Then who knows what happens, right? That you're stuck with that bird. C.S. Lewis says heaven is like that. If you're going to go to be with God in eternity, you have to learn to be the kind of person who'd be happy in heaven. And the way you do that is you be involved in the work of the church, the mission of the church. You chase after the things that are close to God's heart in the hopes that it will make your heart like God's. Isaiah says that it really doesn't matter what you do in a worship service like this unless it prompts you to get up out of rooms like this and to go be a part of the work of God in the world. And the good news is that's what we do here. That's what we did Friday night. People got up out of this church and they went out and they used their stuff. They used that portfolio. They used their influence. They used their connections. They solicited donations. They found a place where we could have an event. They asked friends to contribute. People from this church got up out of this room And they went out into the world and they made a difference. People from this church get up out of this room and they go get cranberry sauce so that people in our community can have a Thanksgiving meal with all the trimmings, even the the gelatinous cranberry sauce. People get up out of this room And they go and they serve the homeless at Brother Francis Shelter. We've done it three times this year. We'll do it again. Even while we were preparing the event Friday night, our food pantry was serving two families back here because our food pantry is open on Fridays and it's not a respecter of the other things we're doing. We fed two families or contributing to the feeding of two families Friday night while we were having the the event. We have a garage sale. Just just in September, we gave uh, over $1,000 to two different food ministries here in Anchorage. People get up out of this room and they go chase after the things that are close to God's heart. Widows and orphans, people who are oppressed, people who have addictions, people who just are like sheep without a shepherd. That is the true religion that pleases God. And as long as as you contribute to Jewel Lake Parish, money or time, we're going to keep doing it. This is the end of the service, uh, the end of the series of conversations about about um, stewardship. And uh, you got as you came in a um, a little uh, card. We do this. Um, uh, so so what we do is we say, you know, what's what's the application of these these messages? The application is if you want to be a part of our church. If you want to be a part of what we're doing, making a safe place where people can find out that God doesn't doesn't hate them, where they can hear that good news, that's what you do when you provide money to the church. And and you also provide money for us to to do the work that we've talked about today, giving 
giving uh, uh, resources to, to support the things that are closest to God's heart, to chase after people that God cares about. And because of the way the world works, when, when, when you give money to the church, you pay, for, you pay for the parking lot, you pay for this facility, you pay for the Christian Ed Center, you pay for me and the other staff of the church. But you've already done that. We're already here. The parking lot's already there, and it's not fully utilized even this morning. Um, I'm not, I'm not uh, limited to just the number of people here today. You have, by providing this facility, by providing our staff, you've set the table for 20 or 30 guests who can come here and hear the good news about, about the God who doesn't hate them. So, so just by giving to the church, you've done that. But more than that, everything beyond what we have to, what we have to spend to support the work of the church in that way, everything else, uh, everything that comes from those guests goes either directly from this church or through our, our mission partners and our denominational, uh, um, work, uh, connections. It goes to chase after the things of God. So that's what you do when you, Invest some of the generosity when you invest some of the resources God's given you to be generous through the church. So if you'd like to be a part of that, there's these yellow cards. There's more in back. Take one, pray about it, think about how you'd like to be a part of the church in the next few weeks. Bring back the half that we want to see, the half that that says what you're up to, what your interest level is, how you'd like to be a part of the church. Check off whether you've got questions you'd still like to ask. Bring that back on the 7th of December. Keep the rest, put it on your refrigerator, whatever you want to do. God has made us stewards. God's made us portfolio managers, and there's all kinds of ways we can do that well. You don't have to give a dime to the church. There's people who've been wounded by churches. They've been ripped off. They've been abused by churches. They're the last people who should give to a church. But that doesn't excuse them from being generous. God wants people to be generous even if they can't find a church to be generous through. But if you choose to be generous to this church, that's what you'll get. You'll get a place where people can hear God doesn't hate them, and you'll get a place that encourages and enables people to be involved in the work of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.